Good morning again. Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing in our series through the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1 verse 24. Uh, and we'll pick up there in a moment. If you've been with us the last few weeks or even since we started the series, uh, Paul has been highlighting and celebrating uh, the free gift of grace that God gives to us, that he um, places us by some mystery through death, burial, and resurrection. When we give our lives to Jesus, he places us uh, in Christ Uh, which is actually one of Paul's favorite descriptions of a follower of Jesus, that you are in Christ, those who are in him. Uh, And so he places us in Christ, and as a result, uh, what's true of Jesus uh, becomes true of us. Jesus is, the scriptures say, our righteousness. We cannot add to that. We cannot subtract from it. Uh, We don't come in with our own. Jesus is our righteousness. Uh, God uh, has made us holy and blameless. That isn't something that we strive for religiously. It's something that we actually receive uh, in the mystery of Christ. We are made holy and blameless. We don't have to earn our salvation. Hallelujah. Uh, We don't have to earn God's favor or God's blessing. Paul says it's already yours. In Christ, it's already yours. All of those things, every spiritual blessing is yours. And so the gospel uh, is truly an announcement, a a royal announcement about King Jesus, what is true of him and what has been made true uh, of us. It is incredible news. And so Paul has been uh, making that announcement, celebrating that announcement over the lives of the early church. Um, But then as he gets into the letter, it's clear that, that that's not the end of the story. That as we just saying, there's this firm foundation uh, that is the love and grace of God. We're very secure on that. Uh, But there's also a place for us to go. Uh, God qualifies us. We could not have qualified ourselves, but then he qualifies us for a race that we are to run. Uh, He calls us, saves us by grace, but then calls us deeper and deeper into his presence, into his kingdom, uh, into uh, fullness or maturity. Uh, in, In a sense, we're made free in Christ, freed up from the powers of Satan, sin, and death. We no longer live in fear of those things. We're no longer obedient to those things. You have been made free, but but now the question is like, free for what? What do we do with all of this uh, freedom, with all of this power that we have in Jesus? And the answer is that we're freed up to follow after him, to become more like him, to run the race that God has for you, to take hold of the thing for which he has taken hold of you. What we would call uh, maturity uh, maybe is a little too dry a term for me. I think fullness uh, captures it really well in my mind, but but that is maturity in Christ. is It's not some kind of stiff religious, you know, sort of holiness or morality. It's actually a fullness in Christ. His life, His grace, His peace, uh, all that He is. Uh, So Paul wants the church to be rooted very firmly in grace from start to finish. You'll notice in the Paul's letters, usually he goes for for verses, if not paragraphs, if not chapters, before he even calls the early church to do anything. He just says, this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true, and you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is incredible. And then he says, here's how you respond. Here's what we're after. 
as a community. He wants us flourishing in Christ, experiencing fullness, moving toward maturity. And that's where we'll pick up this morning. This is verse 24. Uh, actually, before we pick up, uh, I'm just going to pray for our time, and then we'll read from, from verse 24. Jesus, we thank you for the incredible announcement um, of what you have done. Uh, and for every man, woman, and child who receives that announcement, wow, something incredible uh, takes root in our lives. We move from death to life. We become uh, new creations, and we have this, this grace-filled, spirit-empowered uh, journey toward greater and greater wholeness. Uh, Lord, would you bring us as, as a body, as a community, uh, wow, even bigger than that, as, as a city of churches, uh, as a city, would you draw us nearer uh, to you, to your fullness, for what it looks like to sort of grow up in God. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24, Paul writes, he says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed or revealed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I'll pause there for a moment before we read the rest of those verses, because I want to point out uh, that I'm not Paul, first point, rather obvious, uh, but I resonate with these words from the perspective uh, of someone who's in church leadership. Uh, so your leadership here at the church, of which I'm one part of, but certainly not the whole thing, uh, the whole leadership team here at the church, we um, bear a burden for you guys. Um, we um, suffer in a sense, not as Paul suffered, um, but ministry is difficult. The last year and a half in ministry has been um, brutal. The statistics on American pastors and where they're at right now um, is, is terrible, uh, worse than most other places uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, so ministry is not easy. There is a type of suffering that happens through it and in it. Um, but myself and the other leaders, we, we bear those things uh, for you, out of love for you, and be, because we want to see you on this journey. And so myself and the other leaders, uh, we work week in and week out to, in the words of Paul, uh, present the word of God in its fullness, uh, to, to sort of put on display uh, this, this mystery that God has made known to us. We're, we're, I, you could be Jewish, I'm not judging. Like most of us are probably Gentiles in the room, the non-Jewish world, uh, outsiders, foreigners to the covenant. And so we, we stand as Gentiles among Gentiles saying, hey, we were, we were once outsiders, 
But God, through Jesus, has made this glorious uh, reality uh, clear to us. And, and now we have this mystery, the, the hope of glory, Christ in us. Uh, what an incredible, what an incredible truth. Uh, Paul, Paul says, verse 28, he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's my goal. That's my hope. That's, that's, that's the heart of a church leader. Say, I, we're not here to put on a good show. I'm not here to get as many people as possible in the building. I'm here to, to see that those who gather are made mature in Christ, brought further into fullness. That, that's, that's why we do what we do. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Just that mix of grace and, and human passion that you see there. So it's God's calling, it's his power, uh, but we still strenuously contend with, with the hope, the passion, the power, the energy that God has given us toward this end. Towards saying, hey, we want to see everyone in our community uh, flourishing, growing up in God. Uh, these, these are the things uh, that we're after. And then Paul continues. We're going to read these other verses because uh, he's going to list a couple marks of wholeness or maturity. What, is, what does that even mean? What are we shooting for? What does wholeness or, bless you, what does wholeness or maturity look like? These are the things that we're chasing after under the banner of God's lavish grace. Paul says this. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea uh, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, number one, united in love, number two, so that they may have, three, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul, Paul is laboring over the church. He's praying, he's contending, he's, he's fighting, he's wrestling. This is what we want. We want to see this fullness among the churches. And so what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to invite two people up to share on two of these marks of fullness of maturity uh, and then we're going to take time uh, as a gathered community uh, to pray over these things, uh, to pray them first and foremost over our community, over River's Edge, uh, including the people who aren't here this morning. Uh, we're praying over our community, but we're also praying over the church of Spokane in, in the broader sense and even over our city. And so these are the marks, uh, these are the things that, that Paul would be praying for us if he, would be alive, if he was alive today. Uh, one, that we would be encouraged in heart. That's, a, that's actually a mark of fullness or maturity, that we're a place where people are encouraging one another, building each other up, that we'd be united in love, 
And as those two happen, the, the third one is saying, out of that, there's this third mark of maturity, which is that we'd have the full riches of complete understanding. Or the way I would paraphrase that is we would know Jesus in a deep and meaningful way. That people who come into the community would actually encounter Jesus why? Because it's in this atmosphere of God's presence where there's encouragement in heart, where, there's, where people are united in love. And, and outsiders come in and say, I, I haven't tasted this before. There's something different about this place. And that we, we come to know Jesus in a deeper way. So uh, we'll start, I'll start by inviting Evan up. He's going to lead us into this first one about what it means to be encouraged in heart. Good morning. Um, volume okay? Good? Yeah. All right. So I'll start with uh, encouraged in heart, and then I'll uh, invite Margie up to share about united in love. So um, so thinking about Paul's prayer um, to, his, to the body in Colossae um, and being encouraged in heart, um, I think first we should consider what Paul may have desired for them when he stated this. And I think it would be helpful in asking this to ask two specific questions. Uh, why do we have any reason to be encouraged? And then secondly, how are we to be encouraged? First, why we should be encouraged? Well, let's first simply just look at what Paul has laid out, laid out in the rest of the letter to the church. First, we are encouraged because Jesus has overcome. Consistent with truths already laid out elsewhere in Scripture, in chapter 1, verse 13, he states, and he has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And in verse 16, for in him all things were created and he himself is supreme. Because he has overcome, we are no longer enslaved to sin and death. Verse 22, but he has now reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to bring you into his presence holy, blameless, and free of accusation. So he has overcome, he has freed us, and now we are more so with him and he with us. Chapter 2, verse 12, you are buried with him in baptism, and indeed you are raised with him. And elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, he has raised us with him, and he has made us sit with him in heavenly places, in King Jesus. So these reasons and more are why we have reason to be encouraged. Second, how are we to be encouraged? At the basic sense, we are encouraged because he first encourages our hearts. A core belief we have in the God of the scriptures is that he is a God who speaks and he does speak. He does speak to us. Uh, e. Stanley Jones states, quote, the psalmist asks, he that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eyes, shall he not see? And I ask, he that made the tongue and gave us power to communicate with one another, shall he not speak and communicate with us? End quote. Uh, furthermore, Dallas Willard writes, our union with God consists chiefly in a conversational relationship with God, while we are consistently and deeply engaged as his friends and co-laborers in the affairs of the kingdoms of the heavens. So what is the manner in which he speaks to us? The quality and the character of his voice is, yes, full of authority, 
but it is also gentle, comforting, encouraging, and urging us to further us further on into his rich and satisfying life, as Jesus describes in John chapter 10. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 1, 4, that, quote, he is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our trouble so that we, in turn, can comfort people in every kind of trouble. Later in 2 Thessalonians 2.17, he says, May our Lord Jesus, the Messiah himself, and our God and Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. His nature is such that he encourages our hearts, not because of us, but because of him and his own initiative, in his own goodness. <clears throat> our hearts are also encouraged because we encourage and are encouraged by one another. The context in which we encourage each other is in community. It looks a lot like the biblical definition of blessing. The Hebrew etymology means to kneel before another, and in Greek it means to honor, or as Michael Frost describes it, to add strength to another's arm. The framework in which we encourage each other is consistent with the church as described as a body with all of its members. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 states, God has organized the members, placing each one individually in the body according to his wishes. And then it is each member doing what it was uniquely knit together to do through the gifting of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to state, the point of the Spirit being revealed in each one is so that all may, be that all may benefit or be built up. So that's the framework in the context of community. The method in which encouragement is done in the framework of the body looks unique and different, but it embodies what is described as to come alongside another. Gary Chapman says, encouragement communicates, I am with you. So we should consider simply, how has God knit and formed you? What needs are around you? An example to highlight is through the prophetic word as described by Paul. The purpose is that we would be encouraged and built up, as the scriptures say. So is this God speaking to us through another person? Or is it simply brothers and sisters just building each other up in the image and the likeness of their teacher? Yes, I believe it to be both. Samuel Schumacher states, The Holy Spirit seems to mix and mingle his power with our own, so that what happens is both a heightening of our own powers and a gift to us from the outside. Willard again says, I believe I can say with assurance that God speaking in union with the human voice and the human language is the primary objective way in which God addresses us. This is best suited to God's purposes precisely because it most fully engages the faculties of free intelligent beings who are socially interacting with agape love in the work of God as his co-laborers and friends. That is one of many examples we can encourage one another, namely through the human voice. In my own life, it has been in many different uh, scenarios and many different manifestations, but three to list would be just simply being reminded by another of the greatness and the goodness of God. Um, another being um, 
others who have been faithful to speak a word over me, it, that happens to align perfectly with an ongoing conversation that is already occurring between Jesus and myself. Um, and uh, a third example that comes to mind is just a timely gift or an act of service that meets a pertinent need. Um, but really when we kind of boil this down, encouragement is as simple as asking, what are the needs around me? What shows honor? How can I kneel before another in service? And ultimately we are able to and desire to encourage, build up, come alongside another because he first gave himself and served us. So I'll have Margie come up and talk about being united in love. Hi guys. Um, I just want to preface that when Matt asked me to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, um, unity in love is such a big con concept. Um, it's a big topic, especially right now. Um, Carrie and I have like had a lot of discussions actually about this. Um, I'm just going to read what I wrote. Um, I think most of us have witnessed the current state of our nation and the churches by the hostile environment that has become so prevalent online or in person over the last year. For us, this last year has been pretty heart-wrenching. Um, we've watched our home church in Wisconsin experience major fallout because people have just disagreed a lot and differed over who to vote for, should they wear masks, who's gonna take vaccines. Um, and it's been really heartbreaking for us because both of our families are involved there. Um, I've been going there for 15 years with my family and he's gone there for longer than my family. Um, we've been mentored and supported and loved by this group of people. And just watching from afar has just been really heart-wrenching for us. Um, but I wanted to highlight this verse in 1 Thessalonians 3. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the epistles and how Paul engages with the early church. He says, May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and our Father. Um, I just finished Francis Chan's new book on unity, and I would really suggest it. It's um, really compelling. In the first part of the introduction, I was just crying because I knew my heart really needed um, this message. I think it's really prophetic. Um, he suggests through this verse in 1 Thessalonians that relationship with one another is actually for our sanctification, um, that we could not grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit or in any virtue if we were in isolation, closed off from people who think, act, and vote differently than us. We're already really good at loving ourselves. Like if you read the Bible, there's no verse in the Bible that says love yourself. <laughs> um, we're really good at loving our tribe and people who think like us, but the reality is that the way of Jesus is denying ourselves and walking in true relationship with God and other people. And if you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, it's maybe even especially to those who are diametrically opposed to us. And I think that's pretty convicting in light of the polarization that we see nowadays. Um, if you look at some of the backgrounds of Jesus' disciples, Simon was a zealot. 
Matthew was a tax collector. In today's terms, that would be like a libertarian and an IRS agent. Uh, but Jesus tells his followers in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, that in and of itself, I think, could be preached every day of our lives and we would still not reach that. We would not attain that until we got to heaven. Jesus longs for unity, not uniformity. He longs for sacrificial love, not tolerance. We will never outgrow or graduate from loving God and loving people. Maturity is more than just knowledge and information. It is Christ-likeness, praying like Christ, serving, loving, obeying, listening, even confronting like Christ. Unity and love both take intentionality. Um, and I think this is where it gets really hard, right? Juggling relationships and our witness before people takes discernment, but it also takes this phrase that I'm borrowing from Dr. Russell Moore, it takes convictional kindness. If we are church full of bitter, conceit, enraged, cynical people, no one's going to be drawn to our message. Nobody's gonna be like, oh, we wanna be disciples of that. Um, Paul says that if we can have all the spiritual gifts, but if we do not have love, we are simply annoying. We're noisy, we hinder the true advancement of the gospel. So I think with the racial tensions and the destructive like tribalism and the political um, conversations in our churches and national conversations that we have with our families or, or at our workplace, um, it, it can be really easy, I've noticed, to have a really cynical attitude or like a calloused heart towards the gentle and meek love of Jesus. Um, but after a lot of reflecting, it's like, I don't want a cynical heart. Um, I don't want to be calloused. I want to be tethered to gentleness and meekness. So much of our disagreements, or at least from what I'm seeing, um, our divisions really come from what we say or type on, online. And this is personally just somewhere, something that the Lord has really been speaking to me about, because um, I want to still be engaged in culture. I don't want to isolate myself. Um, but there's a way to say words. Um, so these are a couple of things that I've been thinking about as I stay engaged and as I serve and love people. Being rooted and grounded in love means being rooted and grounded in humility. What was the posture of Jesus? In the Gospels, he says that he came to serve and not to be served, even though he was the king. May we repent where our love has become shallow and arrogant, cynical, annoying. May we repent of that and watch the kingdom of God take root in our lives. I love where Jesus comes in and he, and he announces the gospel with repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think we could use that message. I know I could in my own heart, like, oh, I just want more of the kingdom. I can just repent where I need to repent. Uh, people will be attracted to a love that is kind and gentle and meek. Humility will produce discernment. 
Um, there are a lot of times where the Lord just asked me to pray and be silent. <laughs> like, hold your tongue. You don't need to say that. Um, and so that's discernment. That's maturity. Listening to the Holy Spirit. But if I have to speak, then this probably is one of my top things that I'm thinking about. Being willing to offer a gentle answer. I think right now that's not, that seems counterintuitive with our arguments that we have and disagreements. Uh, last week I saw this quote in a book by Scott Sauls, and I haven't really moved past this quote. Saul said, to gain strength and courage to offer a gentle answer, we must first be flooded by the reality that we've already received one. And I'll probably be camping there for a while, honestly. Um, speaking the truth in love is my second point. While re reading Francis Chan's book on unity, I really felt God tell me, Margie, if you speak the truth, but it is without love, it's disconnected from my love, you are inserting your own judgment. Um, and your indictment on this person. But if love is the foundation, then it is partnering with the Holy Spirit in the ministry of reconciliation and redemption in that person's life. This is what it means to have our words that are seasoned with grace. Our love doesn't have to be flamboyant, um, but the love of Jesus in his church is tenacious. It's slow, it's arduous. This call to maturity or fullness and unity in love is tenacious work. Um, my final thought is from Psalm 133. I've been really thinking about this verse a lot too. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then the last verse says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. According to the Cambridge English Dictionary, bestow means to give something as an honor or a present. And I love that Evan broke down the etymology of the word blessing, um, because in this verse it says, for the Lord bestows his blessing. And I think that this blessing and this unity is befitting and honorable for God's people. And this is where I want to delight. This is where he delights. It's where he his presence abounds. Um, and this is where I want to be. And I would encourage all of us to rest in that unity and that blessing. Wow. Thanks, Evan and Margie. Uh, I couldn't help thinking the whole time you guys were speaking, I am really good at picking people. Uh, <laughs> through my tears, of course. I was just, yeah. Uh, but we're, we're going to take a moment as a church and um, pray into some of these things. And you'll notice that in Paul's writing, even as Margie ended, that was just the perfect verse. Like, hey, as we get after this stuff, as we're building each other up in love, as we're stepping out in our parts of the body and our spiritual gifts, building one another up in the Holy Spirit, as we're united in love uh, across uncomfortable boundaries, whatever that is for you. Is it a racial boundary? Is it an ethnic boundary? Is it a um, sort of financial standing, you know, rich to poor? Like, what's, what's the gap that feels uncomfortable. I think for a, a lot of people, it's this political 
political boundaries. Like whatever that is, he's calling us to transcend those things in the gospel. Um, and, and then he says, as you're doing those things, like as Margie just said, like the blessing of God falls on that place. You actually get a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. If every church is sort of a, a one class, one ethnicity, one political party church, uh, one age range, we're impoverished. Like that, that is spiritual poverty. And yet we think, oh, this is the best. This is, I, I love this church because everything's so easy. And, and God's looking and saying, oh, you're missing, you're missing it. And, and so notice in Paul's language, as you hit one and two, so that, then there's, it triggers this other thing. It triggers this deeper uh, revelation of who Jesus is. And so uh, we recognize, man, to get to that deeper place, if all of us want to know Jesus at a deeper level, we, we have to push through the uncomfortable stuff and dig deeper into what he's calling us to do and be in the gospel. And you know, what, what's comfortable, if we think about that, hey, what is comfortable for us? Well, well, it's not operating in the gifts of the Spirit. That's, that's not comfortable. It's what God calls us to do, but it's not comfortable. Uh, you know what's, what's comfortable is not sharing a prophetic or encouraging word. Just saying, oh, I see that, I'm just going to hold it. Uh, you know what's comfortable is segregating out and doing church in a context with people my age, my skin color, my class, my political persuasion, my style of Instagram photo, whatever it is. Like we just get into tighter and tighter little groups. That's comfortable. That's really comfortable. But if we do that, if we go for what's comfortable on every level, we will miss out on what Jesus has, has planned for his church. Instead, uh, we're going to pray this morning into these three things. We're going to pray that we would be a community where people are encouraged in heart using all the tools that God has given us, including gifts of the Spirit. We're going to pray that this would be a place where people are united in love across uncomfortable boundaries. And we're going to pray this is a people, a place rather, where people are encountering Jesus in a profound way, that we would have these deeper revelations, the full riches of complete understanding. And so in just a moment, we're going to break up into little groups. Let's aim for groups of three to four, just people around you. Uh, if you're new or you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, you can just hang out and listen. But we're going to pray into these things. And I'll share one quote as well that I encountered this week uh, about prayer. It's so simple, but um, J.O. Uh, Frazier, I've never heard of this man, but he um, did remarkable work among the tribes uh, in China, saw thousands of people in these remote areas coming to know Christ, and he was dependent on prayer. This is one of his quotes. He said, why prayer is so indispensable, we cannot say. Like, why, why do we have to do it this way? Why do we have to come together and say things out loud? We can't say, but we better recognize the fact even if we cannot explain it, which is another way of saying our prayers matter. They change reality. They bring people into the kingdom. So 
Go ahead, break up your chairs, and let's begin praying over our community, over the, over the church in our city, over the global church, wherever you feel led. We're going to pray these things into existence. Uh, we have about 15 minutes to do this, and then we're going to come back together again and worship. So let's go ahead and start praying. <laughs> 